time to go into auto reverse with Tony and Matt, where we look at bands that were underappreciated, misunderstood, forgotten, and to some unknown. This week, we're going auto reverse on Mark Hollis and Talk Talk. So what about Talk Talk is unique in your mind? Um, well, I think for me, it's, it's mostly because of the way they started out, um, mm -hmm. kind of in a sort of new wave, neo-romantic, I mean, neo-romantic, new romantic right. sort of way. Uh, I heard this single Talk Talk early on and right. um in 81 i think it was or 82 i yeah, can't I remember like so there, yeah. yeah and i and i sort of like was like oh this is intriguing and slightly different than everything else that was going on but still in that in that new wave new romantic realm um and so like i sort of put a pin in it right right then and there Right. Um, and then subsequent records after that, that I think the first record was called um, the, the party's over that yeah. had talk, talk on it. Right. And then, and so, so like after that, it really, they really like sort of came into their own and became this sort of really unique singular um, band. And you can really hear, I was really able to hear Mark Hollis's voice and style right. within that. Um, not to mention they came of age in the um, MTV era, right? So right, all these right. they had they had videos for all these songs, which I mean, for a teenager, it was it was great. I I didn't need radio necessarily to 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 um, to latch on to them. It, the MTV did a perfectly good job, especially because MTV early on, like the first that first half of the eighties. I'm not saying they. I'm, there weren't a lot of people making videos still or, or it was starting to happen but there was still mm -hmm. like a lot of room where mtv would program things that you know just because they, they were thirsty content. for yeah they were thirsty for they video. were thirsty for content for video content so they took chances on bands like talk talk um to and and so they showcased them they weren't on as much as like you know um 38 uh, special like or... a 38 special or Duran Duran, or for Duran Duran, Duran Duran, yeah, or Duran Duran, but they were on, and and oddly enough, they were uh, Talk Talk was produced by uh, Duran Duran's producer. Um, what's the guy's uh, name? Colin. Um, oh, Colin Thurston. Yeah. Colin Thurston. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how I came to them, and I and just over the years, they just they kept I, layers were added on for me as a listener about with them. Um, you know, so I listened to them a lot in the '80s and their and all their like you know their records, and then even and then about I want to say about ten years ago, eleven years ago, I had a sort of revival on them. Um, you know, me and my friends who were around the same age, age, we were like, "Man, remember Talk Talk? Remember them?" <laughs> and we were like, "Yeah, they were so great." And then I remembered that I had pawned all their records off in the 90s. I had so sold all their records off that I had because it was a, in the CD age. And I got rid of all their records. And I remember get, fucking getting rid of all of them. And so when me and my friends started talking about them again, again about 10, 11 years ago, um, we, um, I went and bought like a, 
a talk talk bundle off eBay. Somebody was selling all their records in 12 inches, and I I bought oh, nice. the whole thing, like something like eight rec you know eight records and and 12 inches. So um, that's that's my sort of like introduction, um, yeah, you know, I, to to that band, and also just like the way I relate to them. Yeah, I think like mine's a little similar, but in some ways a lot different. It's you know I heard of them through um, MTV uh, but you know the funny thing is is you talk about Colin Thurston it's like they I got them mixed up because their song Talk Talk uh, and it's my Talk Talk kind of sounds a little bit like Planet Earth for Duran Duran I mean there's the same kind of spacey kind of synth pop going thing going on there yeah um, which which I like and I like their music uh, um, it's my life that album it's my life the party's over. I, I just really listened to the singles off that. But, you know, it was funny, you know, that reading that how he kind of came into it, Mark Hollis. He came in through his brother, who was a producer. And actually, that song, It's My Life, or Talk Talk, rather, is co-written by his brother. Um, cause he was That's in, right. Because he was in this band before, and they actually did Talk Talk, the Radiators or something like that. And they, Something like that. Yeah, yeah. and they, they did the song Talk Talk, and then they broke up, and then he basically reformed and, you know, created talk talk out of those ashes but you know i i thought they were a fun like party band like i would hear their music and i'm like oh th this is talk talk this is a kind of a fun song but i th i didn't really get they didn't really beg for my attention as much at that time and i kind of let them slip by the way too and it wasn't until i had a friend who really really liked them and was kind of like well if you like if you you really haven't heard talk talk until you've heard like and he put on like spirit of eden and laughing stock and i was just like whoa what is this and he's like yeah this is the stuff he's like you should be listening to this stuff because this is the more interesting stuff which i mean you could argue that you know because it's my life is a great album but i think over time i became more interested you know you look at these their whole discography and it's like it's a not even one band i mean other than his voice and like his lyrics, which they both are very haunting and they kind of make you listen carefully to it. It kind of is that he has that kind of voice that you, you makes you pay attention to what he's saying because it's so distinctive, but it's also so there's some. Um, it's a pro it's approachable too in a yeah. weird way. It's like very it's very like um, uh, familiar. There's something familiar about him. I, I mean, it's also very, it's also very English, which yeah. I, we've talked about this in previous episodes. I'm like obsessed with anything English. Uh, I, I feel like there's a sophistication in the way they put together pop music. So, uh, but it's definitely familiar and, and, and it's warm. It's warm. And there was that warmth was missing a little bit in the parties over and the single talk talk. But yeah. then as subsequent records, the warmth really, he turned, he turned it up. You know, yeah, he, um, and it seemed to be less bothered by, you know, maybe he was, you know, also a younger person writing versus someone who's got a little bit more life experience. Like, he had more to say, and he didn't, um, you know, he kind of got jumped into it. He committed to it a little bit more, except like things that he, were swimming through his head and everything. Um, he really got into, um, like, I, I just feel like when he's lyric, it's like, it's got, it's, it's storytelling, but it seems like from this deeply personal place, and it 
kind of, you know, what I like about the later stuff, there's a playfulness that's just a little more freeform play, playfulness. And it just kind of really, um, you know, there's that song, uh, what's it called? The Rainbow. That's off uh, Spirit of Eden. And it's like that harmonica and the, the lyrics are kind of hard, hard to kind of really, you kind yeah. of have to listen closely to the lyrics because the singing isn't really clear. Um, but it's kind of done in a way to really draw you in. And it's kind of like what I would call, even on that and in, on his solo album, there's like this, there is this like kind of, I don't know, like abstract kind of ming, Mingus. It's, like, ja it's jazz. Yeah, yeah, it's like Mingus, jazzy, play it's those, like yeah. Mingus playfulness. Yeah. That is really. That's right. That's, that's kind of really, that's kind of, it's really what I kind of like. It's like trying to. You know, it makes it makes you. It, it's so off kilter and kind of like soft, jarring. Not really kind of trying to throw you off pace, but it's really just kind of more of an interesting kind of journey he's taking you through. Which, I mean, I just think that that kind of stuff is really cool as shit. And I and how he's taking the journey from, you know, starting off with, it's my life, and talk, talk, and then creating that kind of stuff is just to me is like. You know, that's the stuff that really makes this a really fun band to kind of explore. Yeah, and and the, the thing is, like I, I mentioned before, like it wasn't until like 10 or 11 years ago where I revisited them. It was That was also around the time when Bada Bing Records reissued right. uh, Spirit of Eden and um, Laughing Stock. I didn't even know those records. Yeah, those records like came, like they, when they came out, uh, I think one came out in 88 and the other one came out in 90. Or 91 like I, I mean by 90 91 i had moved beyond sort of like quote unquote new wave right. or or even and i was really pissed off at the whole like the way uh sort of alternative music was being co-opted um you know and and even like even like the cure who i loved put out a fucking terrible single around that time uh tuesday's gone i don't what the, i don't even know what the, Whatever that song is yeah. that you hear on the radio still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I was a little bit fucking pissed off and was already moving into this new, like, sort of grungier, even hip-hop, hip-hop, more hip-hop direction. And I, and I like, kind of dismissed Mark Hollis and Talk Talk um, uh, when those records came out. And also, I knew that he had, like you mentioned before, he had switched lines, you know, changed the lineups, and the only thing ever consistent was him in the band and his voice and his lyrics and so i kind of also you know jumped off because i was like well does he even care he doesn't even have a band but i didn't realize the genius of those records of spirit of eden and laughing stock and even his solo record i didn't realize the genius until like 20 years on you know 20 years after those records came out yeah um although the, the solo record came out well into the 90s i think it came out in 97 or 98 i can't can't remember but it came out I mean, well you, into the 90s do you think like that arc of his is more created because of his kind of for lack of a better way of putting it like adversarial relationship he had with the music industry because it seems like that. yeah def definitely definitely and it also has to do with him personally i feel like he was a real thinker, a real sensitive, you know, person who who thought deeply about art, you know, um, his art and, and probably other people's art. And so 
I, I think I think people that are, that do that aren't they're not content machines like generally they like right. when you when you're thinking you're not doing and there's nothing wrong with that you know it's like but you know in the in the in the major label pop world and also because he sort of because he was sort of like signaling this this the end of the 80s he was sig- he was right. signaling the end of the 80s in 1986 1985 1986 he was saying this shit is over right right, right. and because he was one of those artists it, it, it he wasn't just adversarial with the record companies because fuck the record company a bunch of squares they don't know anything they're they're always re- they're they're reacting they're not proactive they're always reacting to, and so, because he was avis- not, he was he wasn't just adversarial. I think with the record companies, I think he was adversarial with listeners, in in some way. Yeah, I, yeah. Here's what I would say. Also, is like with smart with the the record label is like you know at the end of the day, you know they're paying the bills for everything, and you know he's yeah. he's writing this album and he's like taking like oh I don't even know like 14 months to record it. And then he's basically telling them there's like, you know, the record company like, oh, how's it coming? And he's like, well, there's going to be no singles from the record. And, you know, there's, you know, I think it was EMI. He's like, hey, there's going to be no singles. There's going to be no live dates in support of the disc. We're going to spend as much time as we want to do to do this. And, you know, I think that that kind of, I, you know, I, I, you know, everything works better when you're more collaborative, but maybe it didn't for his sense of making that spirit of eating because that's that is kind of where there's the true break from what the starting talk talk and the more pop popish i would call it popish more digestible part of talk talk that went into spirit eating which is definitely more intricate and you know it got really good reviews it's just but everyone's just like who is this band now i don't this is this is completely different from what you know what we what we were expecting and where I, we where we where where it started right it's like different from where it started and then and i and i and i really do truly believe he had an adversarial relationship with just about everyone outside of his own created creative mind i mean I, i'm not saying he was a shitty person like knocking over cocktail you know cocktail tables and and beating people up but i think creatively he he was spiky he fucking did what he wanted to do I just can't bring myself to see it started If you had put Laughing Stock on and Spirit of Eden on for me 30 years ago, I, I honestly don't know if I oh, would have been able to no take it, take it, you know? No doubt. And so, so like, it's easy for us now to be sort of revisionist in our view of, of him. But that's what's great about this, about auto reverse. This is what we're here for. We're here to revi- revise and reassess these things that are just there it's just beauty that's laying right underneath our underneath our noses but we but maybe uh you know young listeners uh they need to be prodded to understand and uh, hopefully that's what we're doing (laughs) well here's what i would say to that also it's like you know 
he's framed a conversation with his audience. I don't know how. Yeah. The thing is, is like maybe you and I would have been more open to it 30 years ago if they would have came out of the gate doing Spirit of Eden saying this is what we're about. But I think like the, the, the thing that's hard for listeners and definitely harder, harder for people who are in their 20s and really like a certain type of band doing a certain kind, kind of song, kind of music, is when they make that change so abruptly um, in midstream. Like I, you know, but what? But was it? But was it abrupt? Because if you think about it, and it's like, so the party's over. Um, uh, it's my life. What was the next record? It's my life, and then Color of Spring. There's sort of a gradual. Yeah, that's you know, a fair point. Uh, yeah, color. yeah. There's a there's a there, there's 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 something gradual about it, and but then and then you also if you look at that song that's on Color of Spring, give it up. Yeah. Right. That song, give it up. It that's sort of like a blueprint. That song for, for the next those those next two dramatically different records, uh, Laughing Stock and and um, and Spirit of Eden and his solo record. That song is sort of like the here here's a sample of where I'm headed. Right. You know. So in in, a, in reality, as much as we we say maybe it was abrupt, as much as we say that he was adversarial with the record companies, the audience, what have you, as much as he was constantly going against the sort of fashion because new wave and new, and new romantic music was very, it was just as much fashion as it was right. Uh, music. Right. So it, it, even though he had all these things in some ways, he was always giving you a clue, right? He was letting you know, I'm going in this direction. Now, if you're fucking 18 years old, that that's, those clues are hard to pick up on right but yeah. now looking back it's easy for us to see that he let he left a trail for you to follow right if you were willing to go that way right 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 and i i think yeah there's some there's a good point to be made that in um color of spring there were some more atmospheric songs uh that um that that show there that make kind of like the bridge to the Spirit of Eden, even though Spirit of Eden, especially Laughing Stock, is especially just like that's kind of like a, a extreme uh, departure. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, those two albums are are a massive departure from the the previous three records, were, which were considered more commercial, you know, quote unquote commercial. But uh, but I think he gave he gave us a clue. And I just think I just think he was a very singular unique artist who who just did you know who was able to stand out a you know a stand out in this backdrop of well new wave or, I, or even like the beginnings of alternative college rock he was able to stand out yeah and, and you know um, you know unfortunately you get to revisit these things when people pass away which i think he did last February last year in February yeah. last year and that's the kind of thing i mean when you look back at his what he he kind of created and left for everyone to enjoy it's i mean it's kind of a rich platter of of music because it's someone who's you know i would say a, a restless mind but a mind that wanted to seek and go in new directions and probably didn't want to di not he didn't try he went he wasn't in he wasn't a delivery guy he was a guy who wanted to kind of travel down different paths and different roads to wherever his interests laid and it wasn't going to be he wasn't going to follow signs and this, that, and the other. It was more of an exploration than I'm going to. I'm going to.
put these things on a map together and make my next album. It's definitely someone who is just more of an explorer. Um, and but also someone who like lyrically he he grew his his lyrics are much more personal much more mm-hmm. much more mysterious but in a mysterious and kind of a uh you know more intrigued and confounding you know if, if sound like a, a goofball journalist but that's i mean when i listen to it it's like i i, I hear someone telling me something telling me something that he believes something that he has felt deeply um and it's just a, you know just an amazingly gifted and um, you know just uh, wildly original, like you said, singular talent because it's someone who yeah, he, there's no one sound, else like him. And it doesn't and it sounds and what it sounds like he wanted to start. I mean, he wanted to he wouldn't even want to be a musician. He wanted to be like a child psychologist, and he left later to be with his family than to do with deal with the band. Yeah. I think it was something that he. He was very passionate about, but it, he never thought it defined him, or it was something that he could, he could bag it at any time and 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 leave. It wasn't something that it was going to possess him and control his life. So, I mean, in in the end, a lot of times musicians um, that figure it out, which am I, I consider him someone who figured it yeah. out. Uh, it, it's easy to dismiss them because the the problem is with music especially pop music um commercial music and even to, to even in today's fucked up um internet uh, streaming environment um i think there's always this like pressure to continue to produce you know to continue to uh create create mm-hmm. and and a lot of times artists like like mark who figured it out and they see the limitations to that and the and the sort of like you know the shitty end game it's just easy to dismiss them, but but they're always the, to me the most satisfying because they put this human touch uh, on, on their work that it really appeals. And it's really relatable, you know. Even right. though even though like some of the stuff we we're saying, his lyrics were very personal, and, and some may say oblique, you yeah. know, like yeah. kind of, you know, uh, it, it, there's still something really like like a, something relatable we talked about this before it's like when an artist shows vulnerability in my book as i get older it gets me closer to them yeah and i and also when people take chances i think that you, you especially when you get older you you tend to reward that especially if it's coming from a genuine place and you know like you were saying it's like it's it's rare that you have someone through his career seem did a good job of keeping his hand on the wheel and not letting anyone take it from him and steer him in directions. That's right. And I, you know, I, I think that's an, I think like, especially when you listen to our, you know, the playlist that you, that you put together and it's just like a journey through all this kind of stuff that makes you want to dance. It makes you just want to, it's atmospheric. So you can sit there and read to it. Another time you can't read to it because the lyrics and the, the music are so engaging and so kind of they beckon you in in this really kind of very i don't know it's well, not haunting but just like you you just want to you pay attention to it in a way that it's it makes the listening experience that much more i don't know you, you rewarding hate, yeah it is rewarding and it's like it's like, rewarding it it's it's like having a great it's a great meal. I always use food analogies because I'm obsessed with food. Yeah, but you made, but, uh, you gave me shit for saying it's, nutritious. It's such a great meal. 
It's nutritious. It hits. <laughs> it hits all the beautiful notes. There's, you know, it's just like it's beautiful. And like he, he was, he was the best. You know, I, I mean, while we're talking, it just, it just sort of like shook uh, something in my head. I remember listening to the Beastie Boys, Paul Paul's Boutique, uh-huh. right? So they had had a hit rec, massive hit record. Yeah. Um, License to Ill. Yeah. They tour. They fucked around they'd done everything they were hated they were loved and then they were like they were fucking tired yeah and then they said i we want to make we want to we want to be creative again we want to do what we want with with within our time you know on, yeah. on our schedule right and and they did that and they made paul's boutique which in my book is quite possibly their best record ever and and they didn't tour and they didn't do shit and the record flopped uh you know uh in in how in how the uh record business gauges that sort of thing and and um and but yet that sent them off on this like really creative trajectory they talk about it extensively um in this recent like book and uh, book tour and stuff and it's just like that's that's the shit. That's that's where it's at. Like that, all this other stuff is bullshit. Like I don't give a fuck about sales figures and and top ten albums. I mean, don't get me wrong. If there's a great song that comes on the radio that came out in '68 but happened to be a top ten single, that's fine. I'm, I'm gonna well, listen to it and enjoy it. Yeah, that's but the thing that's always like, made me weird. You know, I don't understand about record labels. Because it's a marathon, not a race, and they always seem to treat it like a race, trying to squeeze as much out of them as damn as possible. Like tour, 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 record back to tour, 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 record, record, and that's proven time and time again to just wreck most bands and wreck their things more than make them a stronger entity. Like giving them some. They treat. They treat the artists like race horses. Yeah. Resources break their legs constantly. <laughs> and it's like that's and that's that's what's, that's how they treat them. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but honestly the other the other issue is that the record industry still to this day continues to devalue music. Continues to be devalue music and make it a fucking shitty commodity like rubber bands or whatever. And and it's just and it's just that's the problem. Instead of like art you know nobody has a, a, a problem with selling a Monet uh, 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 painting in the at, at, at Christie's auction for fucking millions of dollars but god forbid you, you put a value on, on music like that you know what I mean it's like it's a devalued constantly but you can that stretches even to corporate wor- world like you can make a choice of you want to embolden your employees to be something that greater than what they are and give them all the skills and training and everything to allow them to reach new heights or you can just keep them in their cube and burn them the fuck out of working their ass that's off right and give them more responsibilities and multitasking all this stuff that's just going to burn them out and make them do mediocre work and that that kind of thinking just stretches across the board but i think i'm getting a little off course but i, I, I no you're you're not get you're not getting off course at all dude you're you're absolutely right it's when you when you commodify arts and people and creativity and personality when you turn it into a commodity right. that is that, and you're trying to fucking throw it in a mind numbing fucking spreadsheet 
which all these assholes do. Right. It just takes all the fucking fun out of it. And yeah. of course, bands say, "Fuck it, I don't want to do this. I'm gonna go grow. I'm gonna go grow sprouts somewhere. I don't give a shit about any of this." No. And that, and that's the thing. And that's, and dude, and that's why we do this show because me and you love music we do and we are always trying to stay inspired interested uh in qui- you know right. uh, um curious yeah and and excited and this is why we do this and this is what and this is that's all that's the right. only point i'm trying to make to people we just choose certain artists to cover to help us make our point and plus we hate fucking sprouts <laughs> actually i actually love sprouts but that's fine I'll go with that with you know, just to follow the line. That follow the metaphor. That follow the metaphor. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll follow the metaphor with you, but but uh, yeah, I actually love sprouts. Really? They I just, do. They I, just, it's because they, like, they're new. Because like they're a new. Sandwich? It's like a new vegetable. It's a new vegetable. They're just so like they take over everything, though. They take yeah, over. But they're sandwich. crisp. They're crispy. They're crispy. Yeah. It's nice texture. Yes. But Come on, dude. You need a little texture in your life. I got a lot. To, believe me, I got too much <laughs> texture. I need everything to be smoothed out. I, I need shit to be smoother, <laughs> not more texture. You need a you need yeah. you need to throw your life through a blender. Yeah, um, yeah, well, this, this was an incredibly illuminating conversation, as always, in my book. Yes, it was, and you yep. know what? And we are always happy to hear every your feedback. Listen to the playlist, share the playlist. Uh, this one is especially good because it kind of captures the the whole arc and brilliance of talk talk so until next time awesome peace, peace.